This episode is brought to you by Hyperice, the leader in advanced warm-up and recovery technology. They have tons of innovative products, like Venom-heated wearables to help soothe sore back muscles, Normatec compression boots to speed up recovery and increase circulation, and Hypervolt massage guns to improve mobility. Loved by athletes like Naomi Osaka and Erling Holland. Try them yourself. Get 10% off your order with the code MOVE at hyperrice.com. Survivor 46 is here, and so is On Fire, the only official Survivor podcast, and we have a twist this season. The winner of Survivor 45, D. Valladares, will be joining us every week. We're going behind the scenes of the biggest moments, the how and the why things happen, and the strategy and analysis you can only get from someone like me, a Survivor winner. Listen to On Fire, the official Survivor podcast, wherever you get your podcast. Welcome back to the Grappling Bulletin Podcast. I'm your host, Corey Stockton, here as always with Connor Joshin. Uh, Connor, it's fight week. How are you feeling? I am ready. I'm excited. You can tell I came in with the finger guns. You copied <laughs> me, Corey. I think we started a thing with the finger guns. Super excited. Gordon versus Penna. Four. Can you believe it? A year ago, people didn't think the third match would happen. Now, we're running it back again on who's number one rules can't be more hyped for it Corey. yeah man i'm really excited uh we've been kind of going through the archives watching all of the gordon felipe matches every match in the saga which by the way is it's it's like three hours of, of watching lots of mat time for guys. sure worth it yeah these guys are, are probably more familiar with each other's grappling styles and many other athletes out there right mm-hmm. the, the first match nearly 45 minutes long the second match half an hour long mm-hmm. the third match of course nearly 45 minutes long so these guys have spent a lot of time with each other um and we went back and watched some of it i want to get to that in just a little bit um but before we do We've uh, also been spending a lot of time with Gordon and Felipe. Super fun to right, do. Right here. Yeah, uh, yeah. Chase, of course, out in San Diego and the rest of the team here in Austin. We've got to spend a lot of time with Gordon, with Felipe, mm-hmm. seeing how they're preparing, seeing kind of what's going through their heads in this final lead up, this final push to who's number one. Which shout out to our guys, right? Shout out to Chase. Shout out to Trey. They've been doing an awesome job keeping us all updated on this fight camp. So... I have kind of my own takes on on what I've seen, but I want to ask you first, what are some of the uh, takeaways from watching the All Access series? Man, I I think my favorite takeaway is just how close the jiu-jitsu community really can be. During this training camp, you know, you're seeing some of the stars that we've seen come up through who's number one, that we've seen do really well on the ADCC scene, like Cole Abate and some of these guys showing up, and it really just kind of makes it like, uh, the who's number one roster is a little bit of like it's like a world of athletes that really are interacting with each other, visiting each other's gyms uh, and like uh, cross pollinating either whether it be technique, training styles or just some experience that, you know, I can't imagine what Cole was able to glean from Gordon. Uh, and I'm sure, you know, Cole can probably give anyone in the world a good matchup. So I'd love to see some of those training rounds that those are out there. Yeah, of course, Cole and Gordon and John Carlo had that monster lifting session in Gordon's garage. Uh, we followed that up, of course, with uh, Jonathan Gracie and Felipe Pena and Andre Galvao having their own monstrous workout session in Andre's garage. And let me tell you, like Andre drives a crazy strength and conditioning camp. I was kind of getting fatigued just watching what <laughs> he was putting them through, just these timed rounds. I think Felipe, if I'm... Uh, if I heard right, went through a 45-minute session of just like blast after blast after blast workout for ex- explosivity and endurance. And I can only imagine what that means that they're preparing for. 
Um, speaking of endurance, that, that round that Gordon went through, 30 minutes mm-hmm. with Nicholas Mergali at just a hellish pace, mm-hmm. followed by 10 minutes with Luke Griffith out there. So um, these guys for sure getting ready. And, of course, uh, got to talk about the, uh, let's call it the Corolla saga. Yeah, 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 the Corolla saga. I'm happy to see all of them working out. If you haven't been following along, whether it be with the All Accesses, you can't just check that out on our Instagram. Uh, we got both of them, and I think uh, it's going to be really interesting. Atos keeps, uh, you know, a really tight fight camp there. Uh, they have um, obviously some of the best athletes in the world across all weight classes. But on top of that, um, they are not lacking for athleticism. I love to see that they're diving into these long style workouts. We talked about previously. Um, You know, we talk about a lot, actually. Some of these professional athletes, when they're at this level, there's very few people in the world that are training like them. And it's really interesting to see kind of the level up of their own training process that they had to go through under this, um, you know, extenuating circumstances of a no time limit rule set, right? We've, we're already establishing that these guys are the best of the best, the hardest workers in the world, but not only that. Not only that, you're also having to pace yourself for 30-minute matches, for these 45-minute burnout workouts under Andre Galvao. What more can you ask for? And we've documented it all. How do you prepare for something that theoretically has – it's not just no time limit, right? It's like this thing could end in 15 minutes. This thing could end in two hours. How do you pace yourself for that appropriately? Do you just plan? Like I I will make sure this ends in half an hour, so I'm going to train – as if this is a 30-minute match or a 45-minute match or an hour-long match and just say, this is the box I'm putting this in. That seems to me, and I'm just speculating here, like what both of these guys are doing, right? If you look at the the, the single glimpse we had of Gordon's camp, mm-hmm. it was them training for a 45-minute or a 40-minute match. If you look at the, the glimpse we had of Penna's workout, they were very specific about it. This is a 45-minute nonstop blast workout. So... Mm-hmm. Makes me think that both of these guys maybe felt something about the 45-minute mark and the, the last time they, they faced each other, or for that matter, the first and second time they faced each other, right? All of those were within 40 minutes. Now, different rule sets and different things like that. But sure. still, um, I, I think we can expect that these guys are going to be prepared for – I mean, who knows what we can expect? Who knows what they're prepared for? But it seems to me like they're preparing for – this 45-minute match. And that 45 minutes seems very strategic. If you look and hear from what Gordon Ryan has been talking about after his Gordon versus Penna 3 match, um, he really did feel a lot more confident that he had broke Penna after that 30-minute mark, and he kind of started upping the intensity. And if you ask me, it did look like he was targeting that 45-minute mark the first time, and having implemented that strategy, and regardless of how you feel about the match, whether, you know, whose side you're on, it did on some level feel like... There was something that changed after that 30-minute mark. He put it in on that extra 15 minutes. And, man, those 45-minute rounds, those 30-minute rounds in the training room are going to be what really matters when that last that 15-minute kind of clock between 30 and 45 kicks in and we kind of start seeing the cracks in anyone's game if, if you haven't seen it. And if you haven't been paying attention, I know Corey had mentioned it, the Corolla saga. The Corolla <laughs> saga, Gordon Ryan is no, you know, he, he loves his cars. He likes to show them off. Um, but he doesn't just, you know, let himself live that lavish lifestyle all the time. Isn't that right, Corey? I, I mean, lavish, I guess, is a uh, is a matter of uh, matter of perspective, mm-hmm. right? Because 
2020 Corolla to me sounds like, all right, we're, we're going <laughs> yeah. places. Yeah, that's true. That's true. That's <laughs> but true. It, uh, at the end of the saga, sorry, sorry to spoil this for everybody, the, uh, it seems like Gordon traded in the Corolla for, mm. for a, <laughs> a, a Jeep. It seems okay. like he's done enough suffering. Yeah, yeah. He, he we said, all understand that. Yeah, right? he's given himself a little bit extra. Yeah, <laughs> it must be very confident about it. But you got to love to see that someone that kind of uh, – Gordon came up traveling in the you know in the new york city metropolitan area really slumming it to get to these practices early practices staying long hours he is he is uh no stranger to hardship and suffering to get to training so it's cool he's, he's trying to you know it's almost like getting back to his roots as much as he can we don't have a, a horrible subway system to suffer through here in austin <laughs> texas so i guess he's trying to find a way to do it but the uh the all access series has definitely given us kind of a glimpse behind the curtain for both gordon and felipe that series is going to continue you uh, uh not just this week but yeah th through tuesday wednesday thursday friday the day of the press conference we'll release something on saturday so we're going to uh, continue sticking around with gordon with felipe maybe some of the supporting cast as well throughout all of this week give you the yeah the all-access feeling with these athletes um connor i want to jump onto something that uh, you started talking about um just a minute ago but I want to take a look back at the last match, right? Gordon mm -hmm. versus Felipe three. Um, and think about maybe some of the, the sequences or the exchanges that stuck out uh, to you, stuck out to me. Um, obviously, I, I went through a lot of this match over the last couple of days, um, really trying to peel out what made both of these, uh, both of these athletes kind of stand out and, and look dangerous. And um, maybe the first thing that jumped out to me rewatching this was, and Maybe no surprise if you know how the first and second match ended, but people expect, people know Gordon Ryan as probably one of the most dangerous leg lockers in the business, mm -hmm. but it's not even that Felipe was avoiding the leg entanglements. Felipe was actively trying to put Gordon in the leg entanglements himself. Mm -hmm. uh, really interesting to me. Um, I have a couple theories on, on why that is, but what do you think of that? Yeah, I think this is what you called out here in uh, maybe even the, the preg trap section of your uh, of your Grappling Bulletin article. Uh, but it really was interesting. He I don't know if it was a 50-50 that he kept cycling through into, but it seemed Felipe Pena was very confident in not only you know working into that leg lock game, but it, it was... It seemed to be a similar defense every time he was cycling through that position. Now, obviously, I'm I'm not an expert in exactly what he was going through there, but it kept him safe for what a 40 minutes, and then at the 41 minute mark, ended up being the entry to one of his only submission moves that uh, you know seemed to put Gordon on the defensive throughout the match. Yeah, that that preg trap looked. Um vicious at the let's just call it what it is like the the torque that he got on, on gordon's knee was probably the most significant moment for uh for felipe in the match um felipe looked good you know he he uh was maintaining top position through a lot of the match but i felt like that was his best shot at an attack but it was really the use of 50 50 and single leg x and trying to wrestle up from that position that impressed me and as i alluded to i, I think knowing that felipe on the previous two occasions had countered Gordon's leg lock to get to his back and on one occasion to finish him and on second occasion to score enough points to win. Of course, Felipe is chasing after the mm -hmm. leg entanglements, right? He knows that he's been most successful in countering those leg entanglements. Yeah. Um, jumping to Gordon, I think one thing that stood out to me was um, there were a couple of sweeps that really impressed me, but I want to talk first about his takedown game. There, yes. were, there were two elements of that. Uh, I went through and countered because I'm, a little bit crazy. Mm -hmm. <laughs> the first eight minutes of the match, Gordon touched Felipe's head 33 times. 
And it, it's because he's he's looking to wear him out right off the bat, right? We talk about this being a match of endurance. Mm -hmm. The easiest way to break your opponent is just pull down on his neck. And yep. Gordon seems like he's very dialed into that. And yep. then, of course, what that meant is toward the end of the match, a uh, big mat return and then a chasing foot sweep and then a final foot sweep uh, in the very final seconds of the match. His takedown game is, I think, underrated but looked phenomenal in that third matchup. Yeah, absolutely. This is kind of one of the consequences of maybe not always having an athlete uh, to match Gordon's size on some of these who's number one matches where, you know, even if Gordon does well against maybe some of his previous who's number one opponents, it's not as impressive because it's against a smaller guy. And usually he's not even really trying to prove that or engage in that way. So showing up against a guy like Felipe Pena um, and, you know, proving that the, the talk that he's been doing about his success in scrimmage wrestling, uh, you know, the, the work he's been putting in even several years ago of matching up against wrestlers on the mats to try and, uh, you know, kind of test his prowess on his feet. It's obviously paid off. Um, it was something that I think Pena thought he was probably going to have the advantage on coming into this match on the takedown game and ended up really not working out uh, you know in that direction but I think that's a perfect call out early on in the match making this since you know it's a, a no time limit match making this a little bit of a drag him out I'm hard collar ties on the head really working the neck and back muscles to tire him out you know it's a super effective strategy for someone that's going to focus on you know a scrimmage wrestling game like Gordon is here. And that there's, those are just a couple of the things that stood out to me. But I went ahead and broke down five or six of, I think, my favorite kind of takeaways from that third match. Go back through the Grappling Bulletin article, which dropped this morning. Uh, read through it. Um, and, and let us know what you think. What stood out to you about that third match? It was a long match. There's a lot to take away from it. And I'm interested in, in hearing what, I guess, everybody has extrapolated from that match and what you think that means for this third match coming up. And, of course... Uh, it's all going to be altered, right? By the way, both of these guys have, have taken their own learnings and applied it to their camps for this upcoming match. But we're not going to have to wait much longer. Of course, the, the fourth match in this rivalry, uh, Tezos, who's number one, Gordon Ryan versus Felipe Pena 2, uh, presented by Fat Tire, is coming on Saturday, February 25th. Um, so we've talked about the past of this matchup a little bit. Let's talk a little bit about uh, the, the news coming to this card. Mm -hmm. uh, today, this morning, we announced the two uh, prelims, which will be free live on Facebook and YouTube at yep. uh, the day of the event. Uh, those kick off at uh, 8.30 p.m. Eastern. Um, up first, Dominic Miha versus Thein Lu Nguyen. Uh, and second up, Kalen Sabino versus Steven Martinez. Um, of course, as I mentioned, both of those matches, free on YouTube, mm -hmm. free on Facebook before the event starts. And of course, they will be part of the Flow Grappling stream. Um, before that, the official press conference, 4.30 p.m. Eastern on Friday. Uh, I'm really excited for this. If you guys caught the, uh, the last press conference, you know that it's not kind of that, that dry conversation we sometimes get in a press conference. These two guys like to chirp at each other. It's oh, going to yeah. be really exciting. Um, you know, it's, it's as much off the mat jujitsu as you get. There's definitely some, uh, maybe not intimidation tactics, but definitely some mental chess, mental warfare mental starting warfare early. for sure. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And also don't 
don't uh, just tune in only for the prelim matchups. Before and after the prelim matchups actually get started, we have some really high-level analysis from experts all across the sport that come in and give their thoughts. They usually make their picks on who they think is going to win, and that in and of itself can be kind of controversial. I know that some of our commentators maybe don't always give the most direct choices, and they get to chirp back and forth and, and talk all kinds of mess between that. So it's going to be an entirely an entire weekend full of jujitsu. Uh, it's not just the matches. So you know, stay tuned. You know, keep interacting with us, whether it be on Instagram, uh, whether it be following along with our All Axes, like you said, uh, or be in the press conference. Now, also noted, I don't know who's running the press conference this time around, but your fan questions are something we very greatly value, right? So if you want your fan questions uh, to be said during the podcast or the press conference, uh, obviously interact in the chat. Secondary, just reach out to Corey, reach out to myself. We would love to make a short list to make sure that you know we're fielding as many questions questions from the community as possible yeah i'll be following along with you guys from the back of the room there so uh make sure to drop us your questions i will air them to the athletes i'm sure they they won't need any uh any help in in chattering <laughs> but uh, yeah. we'll see if we can get you get you get your questions answered yeah but you guys can come in and stir up the drama so there you go <laughs> but that with with the prelims announced, it means we now have a full card. Again, kicks off at 8:30 Eastern time on the 25th. Uh, let's take a quick look at it. So up first, of course, Gordon Ryan versus Felipe Pena at the very top of the card. A heavyweight title bout, no time limit. Uh, the co-main event, Pedro Marino, the reigning light heavyweight champion, will try to defend his title against Giancarlo Bodoni. Next down, JT Torres and Majid Hage both make their who's number one debuts. Uh, Oliver Taza takes on Jonathan Racy. Jasmine Rocha and Amanda Bruce square off in a rematch from the ADCC trial semifinal, both of them making their who's number one debuts as well. And then Kieran Kachuk faces who's next uh, contestant, Renee Souza, to start the main card. In the prelims, Kalen Sabino versus Steven Martinez and Dominic Miha versus Thine Win. Dang, man, Corey, you're getting good at that. Yes, yeah, super exciting. If you call out, if you look at the top three matches, any one of those could be his number one main card matchup or a, a main event matchup. You know, you're talking about getting JT Torres and Majid Hage in here. You're talking about Giancarlo wanting the belt. Um, you know, there's nothing more exciting than, you know, this level of jujitsu happening, especially on a who's number one card because you get to hear from them. So that's super exciting. And also, shout out you, man. I don't know how you do all of that, it seems like, in one breath. So, yeah. Yeah, Corey is now, uh, he's he's looking for the pound-for-pound pound top 10 as far as jiu-jitsu commentator, so he's coming for everyone's spot. By the way, in case you guys uh, were not counting, uh, the, the the main card features four ADCC veterans, four ADC, excuse me, four ADCC champions. Right? Man. Uh, Gordon Ryan, Felipe Pena, JT Torres, and Giancarlo Bodoni, um, and then several other, who's number, uh, excuse me, ADCC veterans uh, to boot. That is a night of jiu-jitsu like no ass. Now let us call out. We've, we've said it a few times. You guys may have been listening before because turns out tickets are sold out, right? We, we told you guys to go to the link in our bio to get everything cleaned up, and you guys did exactly that, and we appreciate you. So if you're not able to watch in person, um, you know, We'll be with you guys. There will be a live chat on both the YouTube, Facebook, and I believe on the Flow streams as well. Uh, so you're not alone. Just because you didn't get that last second ticket and make it out there. Too late. We're with you. <laughs> we're with you. I'll be on my couch as well. So it's it's me and you guys. Uh, but it's super exciting. Uh, any any last second thoughts? Do you have a call for the winner? Are you are you willing to make a prediction here? 
I'm not getting in there, there yet. There we go. Hear it, hear it on the pre-show here, I think. <laughs> that's fair. That's uh, fair. That's fair. That's, I think, for now, enough for what's coming up this week. Let's talk a little bit about what's happened in uh, in the last couple of days in the news in the world of jiu-jitsu. Let's do it. Starting off, uh, six athletes have uh, changed. Their teams have moved, have left, have joined new teams. Uh, let's start off with the breaking news. Uh, just earlier today, AOJ and Diego Pato announced that Pato has left Remart. He's joining AOJ. Of course, if you've been paying attention to uh, either of their Instagrams, right, the AOJ Instagram, Pato's Instagram, or even who's been in Pato's corner over mm-hmm. the last couple of uh, last couple of major events, maybe no surprise. They've been signaling it. Yeah. Now, now it is official that Pato has joined AOJ, uh, which adds just another dynamic, another high-level world champion to the ranks of AOJ. Right now they have uh, guys that, of course, Roosterweight, Talison Suarez, world champion. Uh, they have plenty of guys. They have a loaded team at lightweight. They have a loaded team at middleweight, of course, with just Tynan Dalpera alone, mm-hmm. uh, Mateus Rodriguez at medium heavy, and now Pato slides in here at light featherweight. So they are, it seems to me, at least like, at least from, let's call it Rooster to middle heavy, building a solid team that can contend for uh, world titles in, uh, honestly, every weight, ca- yeah, weight category. every weight category and uh, potentially like any competition rule set that you can think of. You you have specialists for each. We've even heard, you know, some of the art of jiu-jitsu main guy, Tynan Dalpra, has played with ideas of switching over to Nogi, having guys like Diego Pato who have found so much success in that realm, another guy added into the group. It just feels like, uh, you know, like you said, another piece of the puzzle found. It's high level already. They don't have to invest in, you know, building someone from the ground up. And, man, it's really scary to think about what, when we talk about the highest level teams on earth, lots of people talk new way. They talk the B teams. Artie Jiu Jitsu's in, in the question, but I think they're, they're trying to make it pound for pound, like uh, weight class for weight class. Their team can take on the world. And uh, on some level so far, um, you know, they're not far off. Of course, Pato's not the only uh, ADCC veteran who announced changing of, uh, changing of or at least leaving of a team uh, this last weekend. Isaac Michelle uh, made the announcement that he had left B-team earlier this week. Um, so more ADCC veterans uh, moving on. That's super exciting. We talked about uh, where Diego Pato may be going or is going, uh, excuse me. Uh, but where do you think B-team's Isaac Michelle could end up now that he's um, – doing his own thing you know the world is kind of wide open for isaac we saw that maybe post adcc he had spent some time training in brazil with uh, among others the melky golf out team which was an interesting collab that i honestly was not expecting can you imagine he just goes down to brazil moves out there and like goes into the jungle comes back still does jujitsu obviously but that would be su- that would be such a funny move for him and, and it, it's it's great for isaac too right because he he of course spent some time with with the melky team but he also did some reuniting with his uh, his former who's next, I can't remember team teammate or doesn't matter. Jansen Gomez. He spent some time mm-hmm. out with Jansen Gomez, who I think he fought in the semifinal. Mm-hmm. Um, and then more recently, he's been uh, I th- you think either spending time or planning to spend some time out at Atos with Adam Bradley. So Isaac kind of doing a tour of the who's next cast, and um, I think there are plenty of Nogi heavy teams where he could land i think it's, it's really too early to speculate exactly uh where he, where he'll end up but there is uh one more free agent 
kind of looking for looking for a place to, a place to land here. So uh, interesting to see how that story kind of shapes out. He, of course, not only the who's next winner, season one uh, winner, but also a brown belt nogi world champion. Mm-hmm. That is a big name free agent, possibly one of the biggest names on this list today. But I know that's not the only one we have. Who else do we have moving along? Yeah, so three athletes have left uh, Fight Sports. They announced it earlier this month. Uh, we caught up with uh, with all of them earlier this week. Uh, Andre Porfirio, Maggie Grandotti, and Lucas Lira have all announced leaving Fight Sports. Uh, at least for Porfirio and Grandotti, they are remaining free agents for now. They have not announced a new team. However, uh, Lyra signaled that he'd be moving to DreamArt, uh, the DreamArt USA right here in Houston, Texas, mm-hmm. uh, which is an interesting change. Of course, Lyra, a brown belt Nogi world champion, and uh, if you remember, he was invited to ADCC 2022. He had um, he, he had something that got in the way of that competition, but obviously to be invited to ADCC in the, I think it was the 88 kilogram division, that, that takes a reputable, high-level grappler. So mm-hmm. uh, Lucas Lira moving to DreamArt uh, is an interesting development there. And I think we should definitely call out that, that that leaves Fight Sports in a little bit of a weird spot. Just, just what, six, seven months ago, they had the Manaus crew on their side. They had, you know, really big names showing up on the, uh, the cutting edge of the competition circuit. And now, you know, the Manaus brothers stepped away several weeks ago from the Fight Sports label to do their own thing. Um, you know, now we're losing Andre Porfirio and Maggie Grindotti and Lucas Lear have stepped away. So it really uh, does open up quite a bit of opportunity for some of these newer uh, younger fight sports athletes, maybe newer black belts or brown belts that are just kind of looking at that competition scene and they've seen what maybe their teammates have done in the past and now it's their time. It gives that kind of space for them to shine a little bit. Hopefully we start seeing um, you know, a new crop of competitor come out of uh, that team association because it feels like there's plenty of opportunity yeah, for it. And I think um, that my, my perspective here is that makes their – let's call him maybe flagship athlete right now, Roosevelt Souza, who has been doing a lot of damage. I'm excited to see what he can do at Pans. Um, and really throughout the rest of the season, um, I, I think he could uh, be a threat in the he'd – ha- he'd have to be ultra heavyweight division. Yeah. Um, I, I'm excited to see what Roosevelt can do. Um, so Lucas Lira joins DreamArt, but Talita Silva announced, uh, I think it was earlier last week, that she had left DreamArt, uh, the 2023 European champion, 2022 European champion also, by the way, left DreamArt to join uh, Fratri Speeder J. And she announced what to me was a really interesting development, uh, that she had signed a two-year contract with Fratri's. Yeah, that's really interesting. Obviously, contracts are not something that are, as of now, the most usual thing we see in jiu-jitsu. Uh, team membership is about a lot more about loyalty and a lot less about uh, legal contractual terms. So this is an interesting move as far as, uh, you know, kind of as far as trend-wise what we're going to see in the sport. Corey, what do you think about contracts with gym associations? So, yeah, it's an interesting question because I, I don't know that contracts are not done in jiu-jitsu as much as they're not discussed. Fair. Um, now, now, because they're not very often discussed, I don't really know how often it is common practice, but I think ultimately – you know, every major sport a team has a contract with an athlete. Now, most major sports also have trades, right? Mm-hmm. So this is something that's a little bit unusual in the sport. But I think ultimately it's uh, beneficial for not just the athletes involved, but also for the sport. Um, I, I think if we're go- going to engage in a – let's call it what it is. It's a trade, right? Mm-hmm. The um, the team is giving this athlete a, a place to train their – 
theoretically giving the athlete a salary or whatever they need to compete. And in in trade, the athlete is providing marketing, training, sometimes teaching, uh, any number of things really. But mm-hmm. um, in order to have that that kind of relationship, there needs to be an open and explicit value put on that service, right? Mm-hmm. And and every other sport has done this, right? You play for my team, I give you X number of dollars. And I think it's a, a matter of time that we kind of see this becoming more common practice in jiu-jitsu for the benefit of, of really the athletes and everybody. Absolutely. And something uh, something fair to call out, like uh, as soon as it gets contracts and legal and all that kind of thing, it's very easy to kind of pull away because it feels a little bit different than maybe, uh, you know, you're used to a little bit more serious, a little bit less scrupulous. But I think the real fact of the matter comes down to what's in the contract, right? So there's some pitfalls that I immediately could see. Now, I want to call out, these are all hypotheticals. We're talking about if contracts uh, saw expanded use across the grappling competition scene, some pitfalls that we would want to make red flags about. And this is not about Talitha's specific contract um, with Fratris, right? We don't want to cast any doubt on what they got going on over there, right? Uh, But I just want to call out the things that would matter to athletes, right? So first off, um, as we see more of these contracts, we want to make sure that uh, how do they interact with um, sponsorships? Do Will gyms uh, seek to package kind of their own sponsorships and have their athletes represent those sponsors that they've already made deals with? Will it uh, determine what kind of competitions that they can engage in, right? Is this going to be where gyms don't want to be associated just with every jiu-jitsu competition out there? Um, Will it affect their uh, seminar schedule? Some of these other kind of uh, cross-training, some of those questions that will always be up in the air until you kind of see the fine print of the contract. But by and large, regardless of any, um, you know, of those missteps that I think could potentially be made at the end of the day, we're solving the first problem, which is getting athletes paid, right? Sure. And I think any of those could be potential, potential issues, right? But as long as, as long as this is put in a document, the thing that I, I like about this is that it is explicit, mm-hmm. right? I say, if you, if you want to compete for my team, you have to compete in these tournaments. You have to compete in this many tournaments a year. You have to, I don't know, you have to travel and do a seminar once a year. You have to represent this sponsor. Sure. Whatever it is, as long as we're in a situation where I have a document that says, this is what I am expected to do. This is what I can do. This is what I can't mm-hmm. do. We're not in the situation where, oh, I don't think you should do that. Yeah. Right. And anytime it's open and explicit and um, the athlete knows how much they're getting paid, how much they're being valued for mm-hmm. the service that they're bringing, for the the goods they're delivering to the team. I think it only helps to kind of benefit the sport. And I think that's a great call out. I think some what we're going to end up seeing is these larger teams become larger. Uh, you know, there's only so much income coming into those gyms, and to divvy that out uh, across a large range of professionals that maybe don't have the same kind of uh, stake in the company long term, it's very difficult to pay them their value, right? So this may be a great opportunity for gyms that do have a large share of um, high-level athletes that uh, need to have their training subsidized in some way, but don't necessarily have the ownership stake in that gym specifically. It, it feels like a great way to kind of hook the athletes up with an avenue that can lead towards financial success as well as professional and athletic success. It's for sure a heavy topic that we're not going to exhaust here, but definitely an interesting development. Mm-hmm. Um, 
Let's move on to uh, some big news coming from Flow Sports Studios. Uh, following the rise of Giancarlo Bodoni, which released last month, uh, Flow Sports Studios just announced the ups and downs of the Manaus Boys, a Flow film which is going to premiere on March 8th. Love that. Yeah, uh, of course, it follows the boys from Manaus, right? The Milky mm-hmm. Galvao team, Diogo Hayes, Mika Galvao, and Fabrizio Andre through their run through the grueling ADCC trials period in uh, in South America and ending up at the ADCC World Championships in Las Vegas last year. Um, now, of course, there, there were different results for all three of those competitors. Um, they all obviously won won the trials period, but uh, only one of them was able to achieve an ADCC world title, that being Diogo Hayes. Mika took second. Fabricio had kind of a heartbreaking loss to his friend, to his teammate, Diogo Hayes, uh, in the, I believe it was the quarterfinals. Mm-hmm. Uh, but this documentary is going to be following them through the trials period, following them through the world championships, and getting some real behind-the-scenes access and some great insight into exactly how this all went down for this uh, breakout team that just had a breakout success at this event. Yeah, absolutely. And I'm uh, what you had mentioned there about, you know, obviously ADCC was the moment in time that kind of captured, you know, everyone's imagination in jiu-jitsu. But even before that, when we're talking about the ADCC trials period, let's not forget, obviously Mika had established his brand and his name by then already. That was why people really seemed to be, to gravitate towards this group of guys. Um, but you know, through that ADCC trials period, we saw Diogo, we saw Fabricio both come out on fire, and it felt like there was a real fervor in the air, a real um, excitement to see those guys on the mat too, right? It seemed like just in that kind of qualifier build-up tournament setting, they showed that you know they can show up in exciting ways. In ADCC, they showed that they could win against the you know some of the biggest and best on earth. But those trials, those trials matches showed highlight reels. They showed aggression. They showed submission-oriented jujitsu in a way that a lots of people that are trying to qualify for their ADCC that may be going the safe route don't open up like. And man, it made a fan out of if not uh, everyone else in jujitsu, me. Yeah, I, and I'll be honest, I, I'm a I'm a huge Fabricio Andre fan. I, I love his style but i was kind of a doubter going into the sao paulo trials right because Mm -hmm. fabricio as uh, amazing as his jiu-jitsu had proven to be in the gi i'd never seen him in no gi and Mm -hmm. you know there's there's so much of his style that yes it's fun to watch but okay is that really going to work in in no gi competition though but very first match he proved me wrong (laughs) hit beautiful inverted flying triangle and then followed (laughs) that up with triangles over the top left and right and center looked amazing and then you know, you have to believe, okay, this kid is definitely good enough to win ADCC now. Didn't pan out, but that's part of the story of, of this team. Um, I'm really excited to see uh, what Reed and team have come up with here. Uh, again, the film, The Ups and Downs of the Nouse Boys, premieres March 8th. You can catch the trailer live during the Who's Number One broadcast. It will be the, the premiere of the trailer uh, on February 25th. And man, we're about to see what kind of stood out and made Fabricio's run so nice because obviously he ran into teammate Diogo Hayes. He got a good first-round win over Colabate early on. Ran into Diogo, got put out. But then he comes out in the absolute oh, against man. Victor Hugo with one of the most exciting attempts at an absolute from a small guy that you can have. Now, obviously, there's some small guys that have made their names on the absolute before, but 
oftentimes they do it with a style that is about catching leg locks, about trying to drag the big man in, and very, very seldom do you see a guy Fabricio size go in there and go, no, I'm going to wrestle Victor Hugo. You know what I mean? It was just one of the craziest moments, and seeing that that was his strategy, if you're not a fan of Fabrizio, you're, you may not be a fan of the most exciting jiu-jitsu. Man, when the absolute brackets were drawn, I remember uh, somebody sending me a message with like, hey, here, here's the absolute bracket. It's going to come out in just a minute. Um, and seeing Fabrizio versus Victor <laughs> and being like at first a little bummed for Fabrizio. Yeah. And then also being like, okay, if there's any little guy who's going to yeah. put on a show against Victor Hugo yeah. – it's gonna be Fabricio Andre, and yeah. then like just getting so excited at the idea of that matchup, and neither one of those guys disappointed. And I, I appreciated watching Victor Hugo um, open up a bit mm-hmm. in in a match that you know I'm sure he could have just laid down the law and, and crushed Fabricio there, but he wanted to to play the game and give a show for the fans. So both of those guys really delivered. Um, but anyway, like I said, the film premieres March 8th. You can catch the premiere of the trailer on February 25th during the Who's Number One broadcast. Man. Exciting. We're doing so much stuff out of our films department. I don't know if those guys sleep. I don't know where they sleep. I think they just have, they probably just have sleeping bags that they pull out mattresses coming out from under their couch. Didn't you see the bunker? Like the, uh. Uh, the, the barracks they built in the. <laughs> <laughs> they have a barracks now? Oh, God. Our video department, send help, SOS. Uh, cool, man. Real quick, let's talk about some of the biggest uh, results from the weekend because, of course, uh, the IBJJF returned still in Europe uh, for the London Open. This weekend, and there were a couple of results that just really stood out to me. Mm-hmm. Uh, the very first being Wanderson Ferreira, who uh, won gold in the medium heavyweight division. Uh, this, of course, being Wanderson's uh, black belt debut just a couple of weeks ago at Brown Belt. He took double gold at Euros, um, submitting nearly everybody, um, but then uh, uh, in the semifinal here at the London Open. He defeated the reigning black belt European medium heavyweight uh, champion Jansen Gomez. So Wanderson proving that he deserves to be among the uh, among the top that he belongs at the top of the medium heavyweight division already here in his very first black belt tournament. That's insane to do that on your debut to take out Jansen Gomez of ever of all people uh, is absolutely incredible. And then Wanderson's style is just so much fun to watch. He moves in this just incredibly dynamic outside passing way reminds me of Tara Ray the way he moves or or like um you know even flashes of Ronaldo Jr uh it's just very very rapid fire non-stop action he does not care about giving up position he's going to take the risk every single time um and of course that led him to winning the medium heavyweight division uh like I said beating Jansen Gomez in the semifinal but Jansen Bounced back. That wasn't he, the end of his story. No, no. He he went right back after the absolute title, as he is one to do. Mm-hmm. And uh, and he, he put on a show in that absolute campaign. In the final, he met Roberto Jimenez. And uh, let, let's roll the tape here. This match was just bonkers. This what? is just a couple of clips here from Jansen versus Roberto. But exactly what you would expect from Jansen versus Roberto every single time. Oh, yeah. I love both of these athletes. Jansen may be one of the most secretly chippy athletes I know as far as he finds ways to frustrate opponents, get in their head, and maybe not always look like he's he's playing that kind of mental warfare. I saw that a lot against Rene Sosa whenever they had who's next. But here in the gi, it just feels like a different thing. He's always seen a level of dominance like in the gi. Pick. That, yeah, that we don't often see. And, man, to just... 
you know that you are given a treat if you're at a random open and Jansen Gomez and Roberto Jimenez are the absolute final. <laughs> but you you mentioned that, you know, after this matchup, this wasn't also the end of the story for Roberto. Is that right? Yeah, so Roberto, in order to get here, won the, won the heavyweight title at the London Open. But then he showed up again on the second day, the Nogi Day, and took double gold. So three stellar outings from these guys, right? Uh, Wanderson Ferreira won the medium heavyweight division. Jansen Gomez won the absolute division. And then, uh, excuse me, Roberto Jimenez took the heavyweight division and also double gold at, in the Nogi iteration of the tournament. These clips, by the way, courtesy of our friends over at Grapple Culture, uh, doing a great job of covering uh, the whole event out there. Um, check out their Instagram page. They have uh, essentially footage from every important match at that tournament. Um, of course, those three weren't the only big names to show up for the London Open. Tayani Porfirio made her return after a four-year suspension. Great to see Tayani back on the mat. Do you expect, now that she's back, or do you expect us to see her at some of the majors? I know Tayani was one of the names we pulled up whenever we were talking about Gabby Pisania's path to um, an absolute, or a double grand slam, excuse me, um, and Tayani being, you know, one of the big names, showing back up at the London Open, showing that she's back on the IBJJF scene. Now, I, whenever I think of Opens and I think of these, you know, professional athletes, whether it's Roberto, whether it's Jansen, whether it's Tayani, it just shows that you're prioritizing getting the mat time in, right? So Tayani right now is on the competition circuit. So looking out for time she can be on the clock be scoring points, be figuring out what it's like to be back on the mat for that IBJJF scene. So whenever we do meet up, if she does end up meeting a Gabby Pisania match, do you think she's a big disruptor still after her uh, debut at the, uh, or I guess re-debut, re- reintroduction in the London Open? Absolutely. I think, I mean, Tayani kind of showed it right off the bat. She looked great in her return. She took default gold in the super heavyweight division, but then followed it up with an absolute title Um She has had quite a bit of time off from explicitly IBJJF competition, right? She was suspended 2018, four-year suspension. She was eligible to return uh, after Worlds of 2022. Uh, But in that time, uh, she not in that time, soon after she she had a baby, she gave birth to her daughter um, in September. So uh, her eligibility was, let's call it, delayed a little bit. Uh, Now that she's back, she looked in great form and... During that four-year suspension, she was competing a little bit on the AJP Tour circuit as well as um, at BJJ Bet. So we had a little bit of insight into what the Tayani match versus Gabby, what Tayani versus Gabby looks like. Um, and I'm excited for what this means for the not just the super heavyweight but also the absolute division. Um, Tayani is one and two against Gabby Pisania. She beat her at BJJ Bet, and then she lost two close matches to her at uh, World Pro in 2021. Um, but she looks like a, a legitimate challenge to Gabby Pisania and, and really the absolute division and the super heavyweight division in the last couple of years, really since more or less since Tayani's absence, have been dominated by Gabby Pisania and Yara Sora as they have the lion's share of the all of the major medals mm-hmm. since Tayani's departure. Man, yeah, adding another person in the mix that's going to be able to challenge for the top spot in any weight class, whether it's, you know, the women's absolute or, you know, any other division you can imagine. I love seeing more players in the game and more question marks around, you know, someone's uh, run a, that's as dominant as Gabby Pisania's right now, right? Gabby Pisania, like you said, Yara Soros, there's some of the athletes where when I look at an IBJJF bracket, 
if I have to bet my paycheck on something, it's going to be that they're in the finals of their division of the absolute. So, um, you know, a lot of these, the excitement that comes from these is going to, I think, be ramped up when you introduce uh, a problem like Tiny back into the divisions. You're releasing a shark into the waters. And, uh, you know, this is the next generation of competition that uh, as they've been coming up, maybe we haven't been able to see, you know, both at their primes at the same time like now we are. Now they can peak in competition season. They're both uh, got IBJJF on their mind. Uh, you know, it should be very good for the divisions uh, and for the fans. Very excited to see Tayani make her return. Uh, welcome back to her. And uh, I'm excited to see. Um, we, we caught up with her earlier uh, Toward the end of the weekend, she said she will not be returning for Pans, but she is targeting Worlds. I think Worlds would be a great place for her to return. Oh yeah, um, and and challenge Gabby Pisania for the Queen of the Super Heavyweight Division, potentially Queen of the Absolute. Um, that does it for our weekend roundup, but we have plenty more events to come. Uh, let's quickly just go back over those. Um, we're going to talk about it again. Tezos, who's number one, yeah, yeah, yeah. Gordon Ryan versus Felipe Pena, two, mm-hmm. presented by Fat Tire. The press conference on February 24th, 4.30 p.m. Eastern. The uh, the full card starts on February 25th, 8.30 p.m. Eastern. Uh, going to be a full night of fights, full night of competition. Uh, the two free prelims that we mentioned at the top of the show uh, available for free on Facebook and YouTube. The rest of the card only available on Flow Grappling. Um, the following day on Sunday, February 26th, Finisher's Combat returns for Finisher's Combat 4. Uh, this one features two title fights as well as an array of super fights. Uh, up first, uh, Trinity Pun, the Finisher's 145-pound champ, mm-hmm. will, ch- will move up in weight to challenge Vanessa Griffin for the 155-pound belt. Vanessa, the 155-pound reigning champion. Um, and in the men's division... Uh, at 185, Kimoy Anderson, who is the interim title, and Sean Yadamarco, who is uh, sorry, the interim champion, and Sean Yadamarco, who is the reigning champion, will try to unify that 185 pound belt. Mm-hmm. That's on February 26th in Bethlehem, Pennsylvania. On Flow Grappling, uh, those shows typically run toward early afternoon, so make sure to tune in for that one next week, next Friday. So we're getting right back into this. It does not stop. Uh, Next Friday, March 3rd, the IBJJF Flow, excuse me, the Tezos IBJJF Flow Grappling Grand Prix, which will feature two, four athlete divisions, as well as three big super fights. Uh, The Men's Lightweight Grand Prix for $10,000 features Andy Murasaki, Jonathan Alves, Carlos Inhigi, and Samuel Nagai. The Women's Four Athlete Grand Prix, also for $10,000, features four world champions, Anna Carolina Vieira, Nachielli De Jesus, Andressa Sintra, and Melissa Cueto. Uh, and then also, of course... Corey is, a, Corey is a freaking professional. I'm going to jump in here so he can breathe for one second, but can we give a round of applause in the chat for Corey? How do you do this every week, man? We can even pretend I'm going off of uh, knowledge. Off of <laughs> I love it. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> um, in the main event super fight, a 30-minute bout between Izaki Bayens and Tynan Dalpura. This one uh, has me really excited. Um, of course, the IBJJF Flow Grappling Grand Prix is going to feature those new rules we talked about last week, right? Mm-hmm. Uh, very strictly enforced stalling rules. Stalling calls. You hear that, guys? Celebrations all around. So in this 30-minute match, it's going to be really interesting to see how that develops. Also on the card, by the way, Francisco Lowe versus um, 
excuse me, versus Ronaldo Jr., mm-hmm. which to me could be one of the most explosive matches of the year. I'm mm-hmm. really excited to see what happens here. And then the uh, reigning IBJJF Flow Grappling Grand Prix champion, Janine Elabri, will take on uh, Natalie Hibero. So that, another just stellar all-star match, both of them champions in their own right. A week after that, Ooh. a week after that, uh, we're going to kick it over to Sogi in uh, Long Island, New York, which will feature a uh, middleweight bracket. Not sure exactly how many athletes will be in that bracket as of yet, but they're still developing that out. And then, of course, a main event heavyweight title fight between Alex Nemeth and the adult slayer Pat Chigoli. Just to clarify, uh, for my sake, Pat Chigoli is the one that's been taking these home with him, hanging them over his fireplace. Uh, I, I know that there's been some chirping online whenever he had, uh, and basically any time he steals someone's legs away from him. So uh, if you're looking for maybe shocking <laughs> displays <laughs> of uh, some jujitsu skill, this could be it. Yeah, Pat Chigoli has got some mean leg locks, but Alex Nemeth, it is no joke. He's been very active on the uh, finishers sub-only circuit. I've seen him out there quite a bit. He's um, definitely going to be a test for, for Pachigoli. Um, and then later on this month, the 2023 IBJJF Pan Championships, we're still waiting for athletes to trickle in there. There have been some big names uh, jump in. We caught Diego Pato is already in there, as is uh, Diogo Hayes. Many, many more. I'm not going to go through every division, but there are plenty of standout names uh, headed to Pans. And, of course, many of them will be uh, those athletes that we have talked about potentially searching for the Grand Slam. This, of course, the second of four steps to get there. So those athletes who have teased chasing a Grand Slam this season will for sure be entering into Pans. Takes place in Kissimmee, Florida, March 21st through 26th. Good old Kissimmee, man. We spent some time in Kissimmee, Florida. We have the uh, Silver Spurs Rodeo Arena. It's one of my favorite venues on earth. Don't know why. (laughs) Maybe it's the lighting. There's a great diner down the road. (laughs) A great diner. Yeah. Rodeo Diner. Shout out to the Rodeo Diner. (laughs) Um, And then up uh, in just a couple of months, the uh, Emerald City Invitational 6. Uh, we have till April 29th for this thing to finish out, but Emerald City already dropping some heat on us. Uh, they are planning to feature a 16-athlete women's 135-pound bracket. Some of those names include Trinity Pun, Miranda Maverick, Peyton Letcher, Claire North. Miranda Maverick is also the coolest name on earth. That's like a WWE wrestling name. So shout out Miranda, yeah. <laughs> and then on top of that, a 32-athlete th- uh, men's 135-pound bracket, including Estevan Martinez, Valor Boyer, Manny Vasquez, several more to 32-man division. So it's going to be just loaded. Whew. I I like those deep brackets. It gives us an opportunity to watch guys like Estevan. Mm-hmm. Have a couple of matches before he gets into the challenging one. <laughs> yeah, yeah, and it really is a little bit more of a test of heart, you know, a little bit of test of will, so that will be fun. 32 people. That's a long path to victory there. <laughs> of course, Emerald City is in the EBI format, so those could be some some lengthy matches and uh, definitely a test of endurance. Mm-hmm. Uh, but excited to see what else Emerald City has lined up for us in this, uh, this ECI tournament taking place on April 29th. Uh, but, of course... That's a ways away, and there are many events in between now and then, including, I'll say it one more time. Give it to us. Tezos, who's number one. Yeah. Gordon Ryan, recently the Penna 2, happening on Saturday, mm-hmm. 8.30 p.m. Eastern. Um, tune in for that. I'm sure you guys are not going to want to miss this. Uh, and we will catch up with you on the Monday following on the 27th. We will be having a show. We will be having a show all on right. Monday following. You heard it here, folks. Talk about all of what happened at that event. 
much more. I'm sure that we're going to have a lot to break down. Make sure you stay with us. Uh, until then, catch you guys later. Figure it out again. <laughs>